Welcome to the Mad Max Minute. Dies irae, dies ila, solvet secum in favila, testa David, cum sibila, quantus tremor in futurus, quando judex es venturus, cunta stricte discusurus. This is Mad Max Fury Road, one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minute 71, which begins with the bullet farmer from the bullet farm coming to grips with his injury, and it ends with Furiosa doing her best turtle impression. Returning with conductor's baton in hand is Brad Mull from the Jurassic Minutes podcast. Bravo, Rick. Now tell the other 99% of us what that was. (laughs) (laughs) I love this minute specifically because it is the minute where we finally get to hear Verdi's Dies Irae used in the movie. That was the one piece of music that they used sporadically through the advertisements, but it was so iconic that I stole it for (laughs) our opener. So everybody who's been listening to this podcast for the last couple hundred episodes, you've heard Verdi's Dies Irae. You know the music because you heard the amazing instrumentation by Daniel Bautista, who is an amazing individual in and of his own right because of the music that he makes, but also because he recorded a special version of that for us. So those are just the Latin words that go to that song. And basically, it's just talking about it's the day of wrath. It's the horrible thing that David foresaw coming in the future. It's something about destiny or something. I don't know. I looked up the English translation Heaven help me if I actually wrote down the English translation so I could share it with people, though, because I'm just not a good podcaster. (laughs) I think after that beautiful intro you did, you can go a little easy on yourself. Thank God that Latin is a dead language and that there's no one around that can really criticize my pronunciation of it. (laughs) Want that? (laughs) That's true. This is the Internet. Oh no, seeing the notes for this minute and other minutes, you are the maestro, you are the conductor of the podcasting world. (laughs) (laughs) Well, speaking of conductors, we start off this minute with the bullet farmer. He has suffered a grievous injury, and as we start off today's minute, in just the first couple of seconds, he shouts in anger and frustration because he has realized that he has lost the ability to see, which some would argue, when it comes to being a marksman... Sight is somewhat important. Luckily for him, he has a lot of uh, weapons here that he doesn't need a lot of sight for. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not sure I would exactly label him as a marksman. Marksman, I don't know, it connotes skill and precision and care in your shots. And he does not care. You could argue that the bullet farmer from the bullet farm is the type of individual that values quantity over quality. I mean, when you're literally dripping in ammunition, I guess so. I mean, why not? And remind me, he has not fired the special bullet for Furiosa yet, has he? Not yet. Okay. He seems to have used every other gun on the Peacemaker (laughs) except for the one that he put his tooth bullet into. <laughs> there is a reason why the Peacemaker's got tracks, and that's just to carry all the ammunition around. Mm. A wheeled yeah. would not be able to do it. <laughs> well, let's leave the bullet farmer, who's come from the bullet farm, behind for a moment, because we need to rejoin Max and Nux and all of them. Nux is running back from the tree to hop into the rig, and he looks back towards Max, and wouldn't you know, 
the winch is just ever so slightly too short. Almost at it. Thank you, Steven Spielberg. <laughs> <laughs> this is just one of those infuriating things, like when everything's going wrong and just one more thing goes wrong. Mm. Yeah, especially here. Although now they're not being fired at, th- at this time, they've got this sort of win- window where they can try and do what they can to get the rig out. We don't really need this little bit of extra tension and for Nux to magically find a piece of chain on his wrist that can solve the problem. <laughs> I really enjoy seeing Nux look at this winches too short situation, look down at his wrist and just start putting elements together. It's another instance of Nux being clever and thinking outside of the box. But what I especially love about this thing, we cut away to the bullet farmer. We see him wrapping the thing around his face. And as we get back to Nux, Capable uses the bolt cutters to snip the chain off of his wrist. And he does something that I consider to just be the most innocent and wholesome thing in this whole movie. He gives Capable a little peck on the cheek before he runs off to give the chain to Max. I wholeheartedly agree. This is just too adorable. I especially love it because he does it completely out of instinct. He has no role models in showing any kind of affection at all. Nobody's ever shown him how to hug someone or to kiss someone. He has seen none of that. So this kiss on the cheek was entirely like from his own head. When you look at small children, oftentimes that's exactly what they'll do when they have their first childhood crush. That's what they'll do. They'll sneak in for that quick peck on the cheek and they will feel so good about themselves that they were able to do that. And like I said, it's just so freaking wholesome that he's been raised in this cult all of his life and he's finally being able to step out of that role and find who Nux truly is. Who is Nux? He's finding that out. And one element of that is that he's just got this schoolboy crush on this redhead that is giving him attention. So is that instinct or has he noticed the wretched doing that and thinks that's how you give affection? (laughs) It is possible that it's leftover from his very early childhood that he (laughs) saw actual people who aren't Joe and captive wives showing affection to each other. Mm. So he might have seen something that stuck with him. Yeah, I think if you're old enough to toddle your way over to a giant elevator and then hold on to the side of that elevator for however many hundreds of feet up you go, I think you're old enough at that point to form at least a few memories somewhere in the back of your mind there. Especially if they're good ones. Yeah. So with Nux running towards Max, he holds up his chain and he shouts out blood bag. And I find it so ironic that... The thing that is going to allow them to escape altogether is the thing that initially held Max captive. Like this chain, it tied Max down. It tied Max to Nux. It forced Max to drag Nux along. It stole Nux's glory by getting caught in the chain link or grate, whatever you want to call the the metal on top of the tanker. It's a grate, but anyway. Like this chain has been a source of frustration throughout this movie and here in their hour of need a very dire situation it's going to be the thing that is going to save them because it's going to let them close that winch i like that the chain has had a personal journey the chain has had a character arc 
It's gone from captor to aggressor to what's a fancy word savior? for savior. Well, before it gets to the savior point, I'm trying to think of a fancy word that means to like, oh, it's been an inhibitor. That might be a good word to describe what it did to Nux. And now, like you said, a savior. Classic redemption story. Yeah. Yeah. In a chain. <laughs> Coming next year to Pixar. Chains. <laughs> <laughs> Just as long as they get Fleetwood Mac songs for the soundtrack, then I'll be cool with it. <laughs> Absolutely. Speaking of cool soundtracks, we cut back to the bullet farmer who is standing atop the peacemaker and he has in each hand an MP5 and he is raising them to the sky and he is saying that he is the scales of justice, conductor of the choir of death. And you can hear in the minute right around second 30 where he's doing this, you can hear Verdi's DSA Ray cutting in in the soundtrack and I have to wonder, is it soundtrack or is it diegetic? Because as we cut back to Max, as he's securing the cable and the chain around the tree, the music is still audible, but it sounds a little far away. So I have a sneaking suspicion that the bullet farmer actually has a sound system on the Peacemaker, and he's just blasting out this classical music because he's got an aesthetic that he's got to keep up. Well, he certainly is painting a picture here with this epic stance especially knowing that he can't see so he's just perched up there on the top guns a blazing laying it all out there going for broke it would be inspiring if he wasn't the bad guy (laughs) and he doesn't have access to his own doof wagon that we know of so he might have his own sound system in that car yeah not everyone can have a giant wall of speakers sometimes all you've got is a little uh, would he have like a little Sony Walkman stuffed into the joggy box of the Peacemaker? <laughs> I like the idea. I like the idea that he's the only one that can hear the music. He's got his headphones on, little earbuds that we can't see. Oh, no, he's got crappy little computer speakers that they salvage from a old Radio Shack. Although I don't think you have Radio Shacks in Australia. Not that you have Radio Shacks in America anymore. Yeah, nobody has Radio Shacks. Yeah, those are kind of a dead thing. Just whatever electronic store <laughs> would have them. JB Hi-Fi here. <laughs> <laughs> but just these little computer speakers hooked up to a Walkman. And one of the benefits of them being on a tracked vehicle is it doesn't bump and rattle around probably as much. So they don't have to worry about getting the anti-skip CD player. <laughs> yeah but no as fantastic as this scene is it's sort of great you got the music playing you got the bullet farmer standing up there firing them mp5s off and it sort of takes your focus away from the peacemaker itself i don't know if it's just because i was looking at my ipad and not a big high def screen but it doesn't even look like he's standing in the peacemaker at the time it looks like it's a painted in prop or something and it's just slowly rocking forwards and backwards like those little kitty amusements you get in front of the mall it, Obviously, it's the actor just standing in front of a big fan to get the shot, but it just something looks real weird and fake about it. After second 31, they don't even show the Peacemaker anymore. It's just him mm. from the waist up. I guess you probably don't want your actor standing up on top of a speeding vehicle. So they're doing the old Road Warrior and Thunderdome trick where they just shoot low angle upward. That way they don't have to worry about actually moving. Well, yeah, it's been brought up in previous minutes where you see the war party driving through the desert and they're not. 
it's all stationary. <laughs> it's all been CG'd in the, the background and the wheels turning in it. So, yeah. And it's very effective. George mm-hmm. has done that for all his films. And he knows exactly how to film action like that. And that's what he's done here as well. Now, one thing that's not filming, it's sort of a finishing detail because you don't usually throw subtitles in until you're released here. But when I downloaded the subtitles for this movie, you get I Am the Scales of Justice, Conductor of the Choir of Death, and then there's a gap in the subtitles and it skips right to Sing Brother Coke. When you're looking at Max securing the winch around the tree, you can hear in the movie where he says, Sing Brother Heckler, because the company that makes the MP5s is Heckler and Coke. It's a German defense manufacturing company. They make handguns, rifles, submachine guns, grenade launchers, the whole gamut. They're primarily located in Oberndorf in the state of Baden-Württemberg, but they also have subsidiaries in the United States, France, and the United Kingdom. They have a history of innovation in firearms, such as the use of polymers in weapon designs and the use of an integral rail for flashlights on handguns. H&K also developed modern polygonal rifling, noted for its high accuracy, increased muzzle velocity, and barrel life. I do appreciate that the bullet farmer like knows his guns. Oh, absolutely. It does paint him as a bit more of a connoisseur. And definitely, too, it shows he, we've seen before, if the Uzis and now he's gone on the MP5s, he's definitely got a lot of weapons and some very capable weapons there in his own arsenal. <laughs> and they're not just stock weapons. These MP5 PDWs, they're fitted with Bruger and Thornet folding stocks and Aimpoint M68 reflex sights mounted on weaver rails. Thank you, Internet Movie Firearms Database, for those details. (laughs) Because I definitely would not have been able to identify each one of those little individual aspects on my own. But just the fact that he's got reflex sights as opposed to just iron sights, that's pretty fancy. And optics like that are not going to be disseminated in amongst the rank and file. So he definitely gets the best stuff when they go hunting for resources. I imagine he has a personal collection of weapons that he has not found himself because he doesn't seem the type, but had other people hunt for him. Mm -hmm. And maybe even, hey, I want this particular gun. Go find it for me and don't come back until you do. I wouldn't put that past him. We learn in the comic book that Dr. Dealgood from Beyond Thunderdome, has made his way to Gastown, which means that Bartertown is within trekking distance for an individual, however many years it took him to get there, but it's within trekking distance of Gastown and the Bullet Farm. And so you could have the Bullet Farmer sending out guys to Bartertown, and maybe they go over to the gun check and they say, hey, are there any weapons that were maybe checked by someone coming to the city and then they just never claimed them again? It could be that all of those weapons that Max checked at the window, maybe a war boy from the bullet farm came by, said, hey, let me poke through your lost and found. Here's a box full of ammunition to trade for it. Yeah, I like that idea, especially the paying for it part. There's no way that that stash of weapons that Max turned in all the way back in Thunderdome in uh, Bartertown, there's no way that those just are still sitting in a pile somewhere. Collecting dust. <laughs> yeah, that's just not, there's no way 
those have moved on to other owners for sure. And yeah, it's entirely possible that especially because we seem to have a connoisseur who collects interesting weapons, it's entirely possible that he has at least some of them. Yep, agreed. Are we being not kind enough to the gun check people at Bartertown? Are we discounting their devotion to their job too much? No, I would ass- <laughs> <laughs> No. I would assume that nobody has any devotion to their jobs at all, except for the cult members. Everybody else, like, they're out for themselves. Plus, there's no ticket, so the best-looking gun's probably in the gun check's back pocket. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would. If you don't take a ticket, guess what? You've just given all your stuff to the gun check guy. <laughs> Happy birthday to him. One person that's definitely not doing the best they could be doing is Cheeto. She is dragging the engine panel back with Furiosa and she stops and turns around and says, don't they know they're shooting at us? And all I want to say is, yes, they know. Don't make it easy for them because that's exactly what she's doing. We're certainly privy to more information than Cheeto is. So we know that, yes, they know that they're shooting at you. They don't care. Any level of giving a crap that the bullet farmer had before he lost his sight is gone now. Any consideration for not damaging the assets, he no longer cares. He has been blinded. He is on a rampage. He just wants to shoot people. Mm -hmm. Plus the size of the guns that we see from the Uzi to MP5 and then going next into the AK-47, your range increases between those weapons. So now he's going to be able to put more effective rounds near them and they do start hitting the back of the tanker and the armor plate in a minute. And yeah, it's it, it's time not to just stand there and look. <laughs> yeah, the situation is definitely getting more frantic. Furiosa dives on top of Cheeto to press her down onto the ground so that way the bullets whiz on top of her. Toast and the dag completely abandon the plate that they're trying to get and they just take off running they don't even try to bring it with them so i'm assuming there are probably four engine panels two on the front engine two on the back engine that takes up the entire nose of the war rig well they're already down one because toast and the dag left theirs behind i don't think they're gonna have the time or wherewithal when we get to friday for them to put the other panel on so on the one hand, I guess the war rig will be lighter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, they were willing to give up the spare tire to save hardly any weight. Why not give up the engine panel to save even less? I have to keep an eye on that because I have a sneaky suspicion those engine panels are back when they make their final run back to the Citadel. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I can't picture the rig without the engine panels. And we're barely over halfway through the movie. Mm hmm. So if they spend the rest of the movie without them, I kind of think I would remember that. Especially when Nux gets in there beside the engines and he's in darkness in there. Mm. <laughs> There's no light. But Yeah, I'm definitely going to pay attention to the look of the rig from here on out. Plus, if they're like war rig, if it's bulletproof panels, they're going to be extremely heavy. And just having those two go after one, Furiosa on his own would have trouble. Although a robot arm would probably help out a bit, but they, they would, I imagine they'd be heavy panels too. Hearing all of the gunfire, Max is halfway down the winch. I'm guessing he wants to be by the war rig when it starts pulling itself out of the mud, but he stops when he realizes that these bullets are getting so much closer 
and he skids to a stop. <laughs> and we see by the end of this minute that he has turned tail to go hide behind that tree. Because at this point, you need to get behind something. Furiosa picks up that engine panel to protect against the bullets that are hitting all around, and Toast and the Dag are just beating feet as fast as they can back to the war rig. They're not going to stop. I think it's pretty miraculous that nobody got shot. That we didn't have a repeat of the Ang Herod situation? Yeah. I mean, there are bullets everywhere. And, okay, Furiosa makes a good decision, grabbing the engine panel, and Cheeto benefits by being near her. It's really Toast and the Dag. I'm surprised they're okay. Mm-hmm. Because that was pretty stupid. <laughs> I can't blame them. They're in a fight or flight thing, and their flight is kicking in. Because if they grabbed that engine panel, there's no way they'd be able to lift it up like Furiosa does over their shoulders. You know what I mean? That is a very good point. Even if they weren't under fire, I would have been surprised if they were able to do any better than bodily drag that thing back to the rig. Hmm. So sending the two of them out there for something so heavy, yeah, I'm not sure how effective that would have been. It would have been effective if they weren't quite so pressed for time. Yes. <laughs> and I think include in the idea of being pressed for time that any moment the rig is going to gain purchase in the sand and take off. Mm -hmm. And they're going to be chasing after it, trying to drag this heavy thing along with them. I think they would have had to make a choice. Do we catch up with the rig or do we keep dragging this thing? It's too bad that they're not at the top of a hill or something like that. Because if the war rig goes over the top of a hill and then starts rolling down, picking up speed and whatnot, they could put down one of those engine panels and do like Ray from The Force Awakens and slide down slide the hill. Down like a little sand sled thing. Yeah. Overtake it and meet him at the bottom and say, what took you guys so long? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, that would have made Toast so happy to be able to do that. <laughs> Unfortunately, they don't have a giant popsicle speeder <laughs> waiting for them. Because that thing absolutely looked like a popsicle. I'm... Well, it does now. <laughs> I never I thought the... that before. I got the Lego one here. It just it looks like a chocolate pe paddle pop. <laughs> <laughs> Plus, I don't think they would have known the importance of the panel as well. So... No. In that, in that split second, leave it, we're running. Yeah. Try and get in front of the big thing that would shield you from the bullets instead of being behind it. Yeah. So as we cut back to the bullet farmer, he has abandoned the use of his MP5s. And so he has resorted to a couple of Norinco Type 56 rifles. They are Chinese knockoffs of the Russian AK-47, which is incredibly appropriate considering that the comic book calls him... Major Kalashnikov, or Kalashnikov, whatever <laughs> way you're supposed to pronounce it. The first. Doof doof. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I think these are the rifles that you really have to worry about when it comes to range and ordnance, because these are not insignificant rounds. You can see them hitting the tree, and they are taking nice, big, I'd say roughly fist-sized chunks out of this wood. That is terrifying. Yeah. Until I saw the size holes coming out of that tree, I thought, oh, that's a good place for Max. It's a nice wide tree. There's plenty of room for him to hide behind it. But seeing the damage being done to the tree, it doesn't feel so safe anymore. Well, it's lucky it's a dead tree, not a green tree, because green timber does let bullets travel through them a lot easier than what dead timber does. Mm. So 
if it was a green living tree, possibly, especially if it was towards the sides of the tree, then he might have been getting wounded from it as well. Thank goodness for the apocalypse. I guess so. <laughs> this is one instance where a tree being old, desiccated, and dry is actually a good thing compared to living and healthy and all of that. I guess mostly because when you've got a living tree, there's a lot of water inside. Hmm. And when you dry out a tree and let it dry like this, all that water evaporates and you're just left with those hard, fibrous wood elements that are able to catch bullets. Not as effectively as Kevlar, obviously. Don't go around wearing a <laughs> chest and drawers on your chest and over your drawers when you go into a bank robbery situation. <laughs> but you get the idea that it's not going to punch through quite as clean. I would almost dare say that if these engine panels weren't quite as thick, that this ammunition might be able to punch through those. And this turtle maneuver that we see Furiosa doing at the very last second of this minute would be a nice idea, but maybe not as effective. And I think the main effectiveness of the strategy that she's using here is that she's holding the panel at an angle. So if the bullets come in, they would deflect yeah, off the plate. Skim. Yeah, yep, definitely. You're not presenting a perpendicular surface. <laughs> nope, not going for the hard stop. See, and people always say, when am I going to use this geometry? There you go. There you go. It's all about angles. I don't know. It's no calculus. I'm not going to argue with you, but then again, I'm dumb enough not to remember exactly what calculus is. So what does that say about me? <laughs> <laughs> Listeners, you don't need to answer that. <laughs> <laughs> But that brings us to the end of Minute 71. Does anybody have anything they want to throw in here at the end of the episode? Do we see the tree start to tip here? We do, don't we? I suppose we see more of it next minute, so I was just going to bring up there. I think we hear the tree start to creak. I don't know if we actually yeah. see the roots start to come out of the ground yet, though. Yeah. No, that's right. I was just, I was just going to say, because of, um, again, the difference between a green tree, or like a living tree and a dead tree, you'd have a lot <laughs> lot different effect here of what would be happening, but, but we can bring that up next minute. Yeah. The uh, roots run deep on minute 72 so we'll <laughs> tackle that when we get to it other things that we will cover on friday we'll see the bullet farmer and his lackeys succumb to gun fever max will hug that tree that we've been talking about and the war rig will finally escape the mud the Mad Max Minute podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. The Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy, is presented by Kennedy Miller Mitchell Productions, and distributed by Warner Brothers. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is Verdi's Dies Irae by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. Our home on the internet is MadMaxMinute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at MadMaxMinute, like us on Facebook by searching for MadMaxMinute, and join our Facebook listener group, MadMaxMinute Beyond Microphone. If you'd like to support the podcast, visit MadMaxMinute.com, where you can see what's in our Tee Public store, join our Patreon, or even donate to the show to help us keep the tanks full. Thank you for joining us for Minute 71 of Fury Road. We'll see you next time.